Chronic Illness Therapist podcast. This is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here, and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love. I'm starting a new membership for people who are just kind of looking to learn the basics of acceptance work. Um, What does it mean and what skills can help you lean into acceptance? You know, we talk a lot about acceptance on this podcast and what it is and what it isn't. So I won't repeat that all here, but if you'd like to sign up for this membership, I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what it's going to entail, but I know it will at least have videos, training videos, and a transcription with each video, as well as some worksheets when applicable. Uh, And eventually the goal is to have a community where people can chat with each other and kind of like a Facebook group, but I don't think it'll be on Facebook. I think it'll be on a different platform. So I'll keep you updated on that. If you're interested in learning more about that as I learn more about it and exactly you know what it's going to be, um, then sign up for the email list and I'll, the link will be in the show notes. And yeah, I won't spam you with lots of emails, but just updates about what's going on in the membership and, and what it all entails. So thanks. First, Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you, where you practice, and what your kind of main interests are lately in practice. Mm -hmm. So I practice at Perspective Center for Holistic Therapy, which is a a private practice specializing in integrative therapies. I have been there for the last almost five years now, as of March, and I'm the clinical program director there. So I supervise uh, master level interns as they're moving through their degree and uh, soon to supervise APCs as well through their track of licensure. And my primary focus really the last couple of years is on anxiety and chronic pain and illness over, over everything. So over stress, over worry over anxiousness, um, overthinking. And I also work with a lot of people in the film and television industry, which kind of uh, joins in that principle of anxiety and performance. Um, And age range, I work anywhere from teen populations to older adults. It really depends. I don't really have a preference. It's kind of whatever the client brings in and uh, making sure that it's a good fit for both of us. Awesome. And what do you find yourself, what kind of modalities? I know you you work integratively, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about all the modalities that you use, like which ones you use, and then maybe what your favorites are or what you find yourself leaning toward the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I come from a person-centered approach, just, you know, client to therapist, very personal. Um, I love to use ACT, which I find is a great method for chronic pain. It's uh, how can you make meaning out of your world, even if you're experiencing suffering? So basically, how can you be happy and accept where you are with what you have, even if it's not always what you want? 
Um, and then really a lot of the process work modalities I utilize are brain spotting, which is great for trauma processing and internal family systems. So a lot of parts work. I do trauma incident reduction, which is a great form of questioning techniques that help you exhaust or get to the unconscious issue of the problem or the trauma. I use energy psychology uh, and holistic practices for Reiki, um, psychoenergetic support, basically working with your energy field and um, what's happening around you in that system that we often don't focus on or pay attention to because a lot of people don't know we have it. Um, and I do a lot of guided meditation and mindfulness work as well. Can you say more about the energetic work and like not realizing that we have, yeah, can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So it's the idea. And of course, this is only if it resonates with one's belief system um, because it is a different method of observing your body. So some people believe we have energy. Most, most everyone believes we have energy or atoms or molecules because we do. We're moving living beings that are energetic. Uh, but the foundation of energetic work sometimes, not everyone believes in that. So I'll speak from two sides. So uh, if we're speaking from the side of chakra elements, it's just more so moving into the different energy centers that we have, which are seven. Some people say we have 12. Some people say we have many more than that. And each center carries um, a certain texture and flavor and idea. So just to give one example, um, a lot of people that have chronic pain tend to be very wavering in their root chakra, which is in the pelvic region and it holds our sense of safety and stability and security. So often when people are worried about chronic pain, they don't trust their own body. And so they don't feel secure with who they are because they don't necessarily know what's going to happen. So it's hard to feel safe. So um, working with the chakras, that's a method of psychoenergetic work. And uh, inside of that, there's also the energy psychology principle, which is several forms of energy work. So we have the chakra work, and then we also have another thought or school of thought, which is more so Donna Eden's work. And it, it deals with um, meridian treatment meridian treatment points, which are frequencies of the body. And um, if you think about acupressure or acupuncture, it uses the same type of meridian treatment. So we tap on those. And that kind of allows our body to understand the physical nature of experience connected with the mental nature of experience. And it really helps speed up the healing. So there's emotional freedom techniques called tapping. And there's also biofield integration, which is working with the energy outside of your body. And then there's chakra breathing, which is breathing with the chakras that I talked about earlier. So there are a whole bunch of methods, the chakra work, the energy psychology, the Reiki, which is Usui Reiki, different hand positions on the body. And you just hold the positions there um, and many more than that. But those are the ones that I usually practice with. Yeah. And is there work that has to be done with clients? Well, for one, you did specify already, like you do this work with people that it resonates with. So it's already a part of their belief system, or maybe they're, they're very, very open. And so you can educate and then they're, they're ready, but is there any other pre-work that has to be done creating safety or, um, you know, like in somatic experiencing, we resource and, um, we just really set, set the stage before we dive into that work. So I'm just curious what that looks like for you. Yeah, I would say it depends upon the person. So some people that practice a lot of spirituality and believe in 
a higher source of power and whatever it might be, we always invite the presence of that energy, whether it's their own inner power or whether it's a higher power that they believe in outside of themselves. So we might say, um, you know, before we practice, we invite all energies just to be present, um, to be nurturing and loving and uh, to support us for our highest good. So sometimes there's a bit of um, an invitation for other energies to be present. And other times it's just the, the practice of mindfulness, which is just being grounded, similar to resourcing, but, um, you know, orienting to the room, uh, tapping into the five senses, noticing the heart rate, arriving and setting an intention for the practice. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, can you speak a little bit more about the root chakra and instability, uh, especially as it relates to chronic pain and chronic illness? Mm -hmm. So the root chakra is the foundation of all of our energetic systems, uh, or so they say in the Vedic texts. And when I'm speaking, it's from the Vedic text. So again, that's the source of where the knowledge comes from. It's been adapted over the years, but um, that's the primary origin of it. So the root is really how everything else survives. So if we don't have a strong root, uh, everything else in life is going to be a bit more challenging. If we think of someone who might be homeless, their world is pretty, can be at times pretty torn up, a lack of resources for food, um, shelter, which are our basic primary needs to survive, even water. So if we move into the idea of root chakra and chronic pain, well, our bodies sustain us for our everyday life. And if we don't have our bodies, we don't live, you know? So we actually need our bodies in order to survive. Obviously we can, we can have a brain and we can think, but what encapsulates us and keeps us living every single day is our, our system. So um, with the root chakra, if we are in chronic pain or chronic illness, it's not functioning well. And if that's not functioning well, we lose our sense sometimes of emotional regulation. We lose our sense of feeling confident within ourselves. So insecurities come up, which these are other chakras that I'm talking about now. But if the root chakra is not stable, the other chakras will also waver. So uh, in order to kind of nurture that root chakra, we do a lot of grounding work and a lot of stability work, a lot of safety work. What um, what are things about our bodies that we need to accept? What are areas that we can change? What is in our control? What isn't in our control? So even using a little, a little bit of CBT and ACT to work with the thought patterns there, which is more Western medicine, right? So even though there's that foundation of Eastern medicine, the Western medicine principle of the clinical psychology portion comes into play because we do think, and that's how we assess and analyze everything in our body. So that's how the root chakra really deals with chronic pain and illness is most of the time it's not going to be stable, but if you have a root chakra with chronic illness and pain that is stable, you can still live a life that feels really good. Even if you have cancer or an or in chemo, even if you have, you know, degenerative disc disease and are in pain every single time you walk. If there's something that you can do to make yourself feel safe in your body, chances are you're going to think differently about your experience of chronic pain or illness. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I was going to ask like the, if it sounds like pretty much like everything else where it's bi-directional. So your root chakra, if it's unstable can cause excess symptoms or even just excess suffering around your symptoms um, and so we can work on that, but also 
if I'm wondering if you are, let's see, working with like working with a medical professional just in the physical stuff and things are starting to kind of resolve physically, would that then be able to um, impact the root chakra and even, yeah, bring it back? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the root, any of, okay, the, our energy centers, I'm trying to think of how to explain this. Our energy centers are affected by anything and everything. So, I mean, it sounds so silly, but I'm just going to use this as an example. I am drinking a delicious, green, healthy smoothie. I sip the smoothie. Mm, wonderful. That moment in time affects my, affects my energy centers. It affects my ability to feel healthy because it makes me feel healthy, which also main, means I'm taking care of myself. I'm feeling nourished. I'm having a hit of dopamine because it actually tastes good. Like there's so many things that happen in that one movement. So with medicine practitioners, yeah, if you start to feel better, it will contribute to your root chakra. If you start to feel safer, if you start to understand more around what's happening. And I think that's something with chronic pain and illness is it's very hard to understand. Sometimes when you first get a diagnosis, you're very confused. You're very uncertain what the prognosis is, how long it's going to take. Is it going to heal? What if it doesn't heal? So, um, really advocating for yourself inside of your time with your doctor and asking as many questions as possible is important because it feeds that root chakra. It feeds your sense of stability. Yes. Yeah. We've talked about this on the podcast about being, um, talking to your doctors, asking questions just for your own sense of stability or safety or security within that relationship, that it's truly a relationship, even though a lot of times we get these 15 appointments and it's, you know, very medicalized, like insurance-based kind of very limited time, but the more that you can talk with your, your, um, medical professionals, it has a greater likelihood of bringing safety to that relationship. And then therefore the, the protocol that you're doing with them as well. And what you just said is so important too, that it brings safety to the relationship that you have with your doctor. It is so important to trust your doctor. And sometimes in energy work, what I invite clients to do as well is to think about their provider before they actually meet with them. So like, imagine you connecting with the person that's supposed to help you and just facilitating that relationship, saying, thank you, thank you for being able to support me and wanting what's for my best and highest good in my healing and in my health. And I am, I'm so ready and open. Yeah. And then that already energetically across time, dimension, space, and reality creates just a little bit of rapport, even mm-hmm. if it's just within yourself, even if you don't think that the other person receives it, right? If that's the belief. Still in your belief, in in your presence, you have already initiated this feeling of rapport, which can change the nature of the relationship. Yeah. Or even, yes, just by by bringing that feeling in, because I think people sometimes get stuck sometimes with like the truth of something, um, you know, and how the other person is going to respond to us. But by you bringing in that sense of security or safety for yourself through visualization or feeling it. Now you're, you're more open to even seeing just that maybe the doctor has just a semblance of compassion and you might've missed it otherwise, but because you brought that in now, your mind is, is more able to see it. Absolutely. Yep. I think about, um, like kids under one have a greater ability to hear more sounds. So that's why they should be, um, exposed to as many languages as possible before the age of one so that 
you know, it just gives them a greater chance of either learning languages in the future or whatever. Um, and then after one, their ability to hear these different sounds kind of start to get diminished. But again, if you expose them early, it can change that that trajectory. So I think it's the and it's not even about, I guess if you put a time frame on it like that before one, it can feel a bit restrictive. But um I still think like you know, even if it's past one, let's say you're in year one to two and you are exposed to all these different languages, that's going to help you hear the hear the words more, hear the sounds more, and then later on be able to pick up on that sound. So I just think it's it's a similar concept. That's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, I have a one-year-old, so <laughs> now I'm just- You're learning the things, all the things. <laughs> all the things. Um, yeah. What else feels important about the root chakra or just um, energy in general? So I'll kind of move into a different form of the energy medicine that I was talking about and bring it back to the root chakra. They're all really sisters. Everything's energetic in this world. And Reiki is a practice that is sometimes in our field of counseling viewed as, hmm, what are we doing here? So to put it nicely, <laughs> put it nicely. Um, Reiki is a practice of just channeling energy through the hands to the body. And I have seen so many people whether it's mentally or spiritually or physically receive so much relief. Now I'm not talking your pain is gone forever type of relief. I'm talking the body feels like it's had an adjustment of some sort, um, some sort of relief from the idea of it being forever, some sort of relief. And I have done something for my body that's kind and loving and compassionate. So basically what Reiki is and what I do for some clients and differently for others is for some clients, um, I have them sign a consent form to make sure they feel comfortable with me touching certain parts of their body, the head, the shoulders, inside of the elbows, wrists. And then I just do the knees and the feet. I, I stay away from the torso just because of you know, the idea of a slippery slope in our field, because we are not supposed to touch, although it doesn't say that within our code of ethics. And with Usui Reiki, some clients I touch, I always tell them, if you feel uncomfortable at any point in time, let me know that's completely okay. I will hover my hands where we can stop, you know, just really, really making it known that this does not have to continue if there's any sort of discomfort. And so between either the hands touching the head or the hands hovering above the head, we just stay there in different positions for a long period of time, like three to five minutes. And the interesting thing about energy medicine and touch itself is that we never like, can you imagine just someone hugging you for five minutes? Right. And we never do that. We don't, we don't actually intentionally think about someone doing that to us or with us or holding our own hand for five minutes or putting our own hand over our heart for five minutes. Um, and yet we know, like we know oxytocin is released, your heart rate variability stabilizes, like all these things with touch. I remember hearing years ago, it was like, America is like one of the only countries where, you know, touch is, like is so taboo that we actually pay people to then touch us like massage or- Gosh washing your like getting your hair washed and it's just like the best experience because we don't condone touching in this country 
Exactly. And it it's, I mean, it's so interesting sometimes you bringing up the idea of a baby. I mean, in order for a baby to survive, it has to be touched. It has to be nurtured. It has to be loved and coddled and smiled at. And we don't do that to one another. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to touch a human like a baby and Reiki. But what I am saying is there's something so wonderful inside of that experience um just holding space for a point on the body and there's something very healing about that so i love to bring reiki in for any for almost any client and i say that because there are some clients that i would never do reiki on just because um I want it to feel appropriate for the client. If they had sexual trauma or if they didn't feel comfortable with touch, I would have them sit where they were and sit where I am. And I would hold my body in certain parts and I would invite them to do the same to their body. So they would touch themselves as I would touch myself in that position. It sounds, it probably sounds really funny without the visuals. No, I have the visuals in that. Yeah. Touching of, the head, touching of the face, touching of the heart, you know, if, we're, if we really want to be clear, yeah. um, because, you know, in that moment, it's like, there's this exchange of energy and, uh, in, in bringing it back to the root, right. That safety, when we, when we touch ourselves and embrace ourselves and embody ourselves, um, that safety, like the butterfly, you know, that's a sense of safety right? Or like rubbing our hands together when we're cold or when we're worried, that's a sense of safety. Oh no, right? Putting the hand on the heart, that's a sense of safety and worry. So we always invite touch in, but very rarely do we have other people do that for us. So in supporting the root chakra, Reiki is a great practice for that. It works with all the other chakras as well. Um, but I would highly suggest that for people who are really searching for that um, stabilized touch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, a really great, I think, I think it's really great to talk about this, especially from an integrative approach, because again, people hear this, they hear Reiki, they hear energy work and they you're either like, yes. And this heals everything and cures everything or no, that's like witchcraft demonic stuff. Like, and they have these terrible kind of ideas about, about it when it, truly has been a healing modality for centuries and centuries in other countries. And, and it really, at the end of the day, it just comes down to relationship and community. Absolutely. You know, I had an experience with my chiropractor who, you know, as well, um, both of them really, but it was with network spine analysis, um, Dr. Andrew Wright. And he put his hand, I I'd had a really challenging thing come up for me and I laid on the table and he put his hand on my back and he just left it there and then just moved it around gently and then just left it there and I started to cry like a baby because there was something about that nurturing energy and so I say that because you know forget the energy component Touch itself, if you don't believe in any energy work, touch itself is so healing. Massage therapy is so healing. Chiropractic care is so healing. Um, and why not include it in a form of psychotherapy? Of course, within parameters of safety with what you are um, trained to do. Like I am a trained Reiki master. I have a code of ethics that I abide by. You well, know, along that same line, I was just going to say, you know, it, yeah. We really do forget 
especially lately with like insurance and therapists being able to take insurance, I'm getting a lot more clients recently who um, have language around like, it makes me feel like I'm like, they think I'm a medical doctor or like a, like a, I'm going to diagnose their problem and, and their, their illness, their mental illness. And at the end of the day, what heals is relationship. We know this, we know this with doctors. We know this with therapists. The research is very clear that the modality almost doesn't even matter. If the relationship is there, you will find relief. And so to the point of, you know, making sure you're using touch appropriately when you are genuinely in relationship and you know the parameters of your relationship it doesn't even matter if I'm your therapist or your friend or your partner we know what touch like we it's about consent like we're constantly figuring out what is appropriate for us in our relationship um yeah that thought just came to mind yeah, relationship is vital, I think, to the therapeutic setting. And, you know, I have clients that have come in before and said, I just, it just hasn't worked out with me and prior therapists. I just don't feel that connection. And I, and I say, well, keep looking until you find it. You know, it's really important that you trust your therapist. And um, I think relationship, the relationship between client and therapist is one of the most important aspects of their healing journey. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that relationship, it, it, I've got clients, we, we form an alliance in two sessions, three set first session. It's like, wow, amazing. Like been looking for a therapeutic relationship for this, like this for a while, other clients, like it takes a lot longer and it's either, sometimes it's actually just a matter of goodness of fit. Like maybe our personalities weren't exactly what you needed for your particular healing needs in this moment. Other times it's because there is either so much trauma or just a lack of someone who didn't grow up with learning how to build relationships and relationships don't um, come with a lot of trust. So it takes six months, eight months, sometimes a year before you really can get into deep dive problems with clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And to trust the process, you know, to be able to trust the process of trust the client's process, I suppose. And I do. And I think you do too. It's just, it, it's a matter of personality and where they are in their healing journey. And sometimes it does take a lot longer for them to be able to open up and feel comfortable, but when they do, it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It, everything starts to flow and it just feels mm -hmm. like, I mean, yeah, it's energy. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm glad how, I like how you um, differentiated it at the beginning um, and how energy is energy no matter what, but then how you use it is the really where the belief system comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And no one, you know, no one has to believe in chakras or, you know, that there's an auric field around you or, you know, you don't have to believe in that, but we are beings of energy. I mean, a light is energy. Uh, you know, everything is energy. Like that's how our world operates. Yeah. So th there, there's no denying that. So sometimes it's, it's interesting how, um, like for instance, you know, when people walk into a room and energetically they're like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore, but they have no idea why. Well, that's energy. That's old energy. That's just moved around and is stagnant and is still there. And someone doesn't like it. How do you intuitively know that you just do? you know? Yeah. So, um, it's a great example. 
or yeah. just, you know, when you don't click with somebody and it's like, I don't like this person, but I don't know why, or I really like this person and I don't know why exactly. <laughs> it's just about, you know, hobbies or interests or similarities. It's, there's an energy there. Energy resonance. There's, you know, there's, I think there's so many different words, um, to be able to describe it, but I think the term that just is easiest to capture everything inside of is energy. Mm. I think that's good. Um, what questions do people come in with about this work for you? What are some of the common questions you get? What is it? Can you tell me more? Uh, can you describe what it would look like for me if I were to do it? in what way do you practice it? Because each person practices it a little bit differently where they have <clears throat> different ways to infuse their full modalities of healing. So I kind of just describe for them what I do and when we can utilize it, when is a good time to move through it. Uh, what I typically say for, for the sessions with my clients is, you know, first it's going to be probably the first three sessions or talk therapy, right? Me, me getting to know you and understanding your background and developmental history and what your goals are and what you want to get out of therapy. And then after that, it's, it's really a mix between talk therapy and process work and grounding and, you know, exploring when there are moments to go deeper and in those moments to go deeper, that's where I usually offer, um, a variety of different modalities like Reiki or brain spotting. And inside of the more in-depth process, we would probably do that for about 30 minutes. And then we would close with a reflection of what their experience was the last seven minutes or so. And then in the session, but a lot of clients ask what, what it's going to look like, because they really don't know. Cause each therapist provides a different source of therapy. Yeah. That's, I mean, and I think that's, what's so cool about our world is that there are so many different ways to do it. Now, I know in a lot of Eastern um, philosophy, there's a lot of just rituals. You, know, like you mentioned closing out with a meditation or, or um, something of that nature. Do you have rituals that you use pretty consistently? Mm -hmm. What I usually say to most of my clients at the end of session is what intention would you like to set for your week ahead? Or what would you like to bring with you inside of it? Or what would you like to let go of? Um, and that's usually at the end of most sessions. Uh, in the beginning of most sessions, sometimes I'll offer grounding if the client comes in and I notice their energy is kind of either sad or all over the place or distracted. I'll check in and ask if they just want to practice a bit of mindfulness to just arrive. Um, and then also set an intention for whatever they want out of their therapeutic session. So I use a lot of intention work, which is a mindfulness practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, can you expand actually on what that, like we've defined mindfulness a few times on this show, but if you can sure. kind of, yeah, define it for you. Yeah. From, from my training, mindfulness is a very present awareness of what's happening in the here and the now. So for instance, if my client has been at work and had a horrible day with their boss and they went to Starbucks and they got the wrong coffee and then they've driven in traffic and they've arrived at their session, chances are they're going to be totally haywire and it's going to be very hard for them to move into a session smoothly, um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. However, uh, to kind of recalibrate their body, 
we invite mindfulness in, which is the practice of being in the here and now. Well, now you're not at Starbucks. Now you're not with your boss at your work. Now you're in this space with me for you. So let's orient to the room. Let's just notice what this space looks like. And let's notice the five senses or notice your heartbeat. Let's feel your feet on the ground. Let's allow the energy to travel through you from the top part of your head all the way through your body, inviting white light. And if that feels good for you, moving any of that tense energy out your feet and into the center of the earth and being present here. And let's set an intention for today. If you have one, if you don't have one, let's just be present and just invite whatever needs to come forth to come forth. That's what I would do. And that's kind of the practice of mindfulness. It's really being in the here and now, non-judgmentally with whatever has happened, you have arrived and we accept all that is. And for people who are hearing, um, you just mentioned like the white light and kind of energy moving through you. And for people who are still kind of, if you're still listening to this episode and you um, are still like, you don't really understand energy work and, and it's just a very foreign concept to you, just consider it a visualization practice. That's that my advice. You Maybe you would have um, better advice. No, I would say the same thing. And if visualization is something that's hard for you, forget the white light, forget the word energy, just be present with your surroundings and your senses, just be in the here and now. Verbally say, I am here now. I see a picture in front of me with birds. <laughs> like, you know, if the other feels uncomfortable, you can still practice mindfulness because it still is mindfulness, but there are many different variations of mindfulness that exist. You choose the one that works best for you. Yeah. And I think too, the thing about mindfulness is that, you know, um, the founder of somatic experiencing, he often talks about just needing to be with people in order to heal. Um, if you think about animals in the wild, like if you are left alone, you are very, and you're hurt you're very likely to not make it. You need your pack. Um, and so when we're doing, when we're practicing mindfulness, you know, there's all these apps, there's all these like practices that people can do on their own. And that's fine if that works for you. But um, a big part of this is doing it with somebody who is probably a little bit more experienced than you too, and who can teach that you can receive from. I think people with chronic illness, we are very, a lot of us are very, very not adept at receiving. Mm -hmm. I think that's a part of a part of the issue uh over giving and which can sound very like virtuous and moral but actually there's um there's nothing better than being in a give and take relationship so I just think that's an important point to kind of this is not about just go do some practice and then you're going to get some desired result it really is about the relationship and no better no better person than someone you trust, such as a therapist or a mentor or someone in your spiritual community or an elder in your community. Um, yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that too. Chronic illness and chronic pain is a very isolated experience. And, you know, the app Curable really um, spoke to me in many ways because it would talk often about that and it would kind of share the idea of not being alone inside of your experience that many people are with you in it. And, and knowing that, that many people, even though it might not be the exact same experience, have probably the same fears and worries and struggles. 
is so comforting. And a part of it's sad too, right? Because we don't want others to hurt around us. We don't ever want others to have to go through what we're going through. And yet that's part of our reality is that we are not the only one going through it, that there are other people experiencing significant distress. But how beautiful is it to connect with them and to know that you're not alone? I And I think another really beautiful concept, and I don't remember... I might've heard it from curable, but was to send others thoughts, kind of like the meta prayer and in its own way of loving kindness to send others around you, or even just to the world when you're suffering thoughts of, I wish you peace and wellness. And I wish you, you know, safety and security. And I wish you health and happiness and all of those things that even that thought, even if there is no one around you that, you know, sending it to people who may be experiencing a similar thing or a similar, similar condition can be very um, comforting as well. Yeah. Yeah. What we give out comes back to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there any um, rituals that you can think of or that you often recommend to clients with chronic pain, maybe even specific to the root chakra, but doesn't have to be, but what kind of, we've already talked a lot about just safety and that alone kind of affecting the root chakra, but are there any rituals that you'd like to share that can help people um, as they're really suffering with maybe the instability, the feeling of instability while living with a chronic illness? Mm -hmm. I love touch, obviously. So I invite clients to practice whether they consider it touch or Reiki or intentional touch, whatever it might be, to their own bodies and, and systems. So um, for instance, let's say, let's say Sally has been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition um, and maybe even MS. And she is just devastated and her body is doing all kinds of, you know, things, maybe her vision's a little bit tricky when she wakes up in the morning or she's feeling more shaky than usual. Well, if she can invite touch and awareness into her body, maybe she holds her hands over her eyes for three minutes and says, eyes, however you are in this moment, I love you and I appreciate you and I see you and I feel you and I'm with you. I support you no matter what kind of day you have, I'm here for you. Same thing with maybe the trembling in the body. Maybe the, Sally holds her arms or her elbows, each elbow, and just embraces herself and just says a very similar kind of construct of, I, I love you. I'm present with you. If you need to shake today, do whatever it is that you need to do. If you need to ask for additional support, whether it be from a family member or from a doctor, if this is new for you, do that. I'm with you. I encourage you. So it's really being, I guess the ritual is, um, seeing yourself for however you are inside of that mindfulness experience and acknowledging however it is that you feel, but with so much nurturing, you know, nurturing energy and nurturing offerings. Uh, and the other thing that I would invite to for people with chronic pain, same concept, and to, to change the language around it, which sometimes I love to shift the language of, oh my God, I'm in so much pain today. Okay. Yeah, I, I acknowledge that. And what if we can replace the word with, I have 
a really tense sensation in my back today because then that's not, and I'm sure you guys have talked about, you know, different verbiage for um, chronic pain, but I like to work with the language because energetically speaking with your nervous system and with your root chakra, you're not saying I'm in pain. You're saying you have an uncomfortable sensation, which the body receives that much differently than the other. It's less dangerous. So those that's, are the, yes. yeah, that's the piece the state arrives around safety. I want to kind of just for a moment, clarify that, like, it's not just about changing your beliefs or changing your, you know, trying to bypass harder feelings. It's, it's literally just trying to remind your body that you are safe, even when uncomfortable or even painful sensations are occurring. Um, and so by telling your, by being a little bit more objective, like this is a X sensation, you know, this is a hard sensation, um, you know, a sharp sensation, fuzzy, um, vibrating, and this is really uncomfortable, but we don't make a ton of meaning about it. We don't pretend to know what the body is exactly trying to tell us. We just say, I'm here and I'm listening and I might not know, but that's okay. I trust you, which is a hard place to get to, like to trust. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's, it's not, it's not about, you're not failing if you can't do this. In fact, that's why therapy exists. And that's why this podcast exists is to find therapists who can help you learn to trust despite really hard bodily sensations. Um, because it's, it's not just about changing your thoughts. So I am always really, really clear about that on this podcast. Yeah. I love that. It's an important thing to recognize. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to share before we hop off today? <sighs> which I'm sure many people say on here, but you're not alone. You're not alone in your experience. There are many ways to support whatever it is that you're going through and to do your research, look at different therapists and see if what they do is what you would want. Date, you know, like as in play the dating game with therapists, do, do your due diligence, interview them and make sure that it's a good fit for you because there are a lot of different options not just with therapy but with body work too there's reflexology there's chiropractic you know blah 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 there's so many different options um but it's all worth checking into yes yes i think sometimes we have um a little bit too many options uh -huh. <laughs> it's, yeah. actually, it's nice to hear i think what i enjoyed most about our talk today was how many different things you've studied and used yet you, you are very clear. You come back to like the main thread. It's not all over the place. It's, it's all of these things work together, which takes, it does take a while to even as a practitioner, kind of you're learning all these different things and modalities and you want to try it this way and that way. But we have to be able to come back to a centered place where we are still doing the same thing, regardless of the modality we're just kind of using it's like using different seasonings mm -hmm. in a dish like it's it's still you know a thai dish but some might use this much seasoning and that much seasoning and so yeah thank you so much for sharing all of that i'm really looking forward to putting this out um, this podcast out you are very welcome i enjoyed being here thanks for such good questions awesome if you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.